rushers in there now. They're going to need to see if they can get after Kirk Cousins here. He's only been sacked once today. Pressure coming. He gets rid of it. That's intercepted. Robert Alford. It's going to be a victory for the Falcons. All right, Don, play the drop. <laughs> the fluid situation drop? Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're saying we haven't created that yet. No, that the drop is in a fluid situation too. Apparently. Okay. Well, I don't know who the guests are going to be today, but we are going to do a – basically we're going to talk a lot about hockey today. Right. Uh, hockey's back. We'll get to that. And, of course, it's a fluid situation. How did you enjoy Mike Tirico? And before we move on to this show, how did you enjoy Mike Trico last week? It was awesome. It was one of the. I texted you. I listened to it uh, the following day. Uh, it's one of the best interviews we've had. He's just such a cool. It may be because he uh, like plucked all the right strings from like a Buffalo guy point of like he just. I get the impression he knows that about every market that he would call. Like he knew about uh, Eichel. And yeah, Harbor he busted Center. your balls a little yeah. bit about the Eichel jersey and just all that stuff. And he just came off as so smart. And the behind the scenes stuff was really cool. It was it was really interesting stuff. I don't know how political he is in real life, but I have a feeling he's been as successful as he has because he's so incredibly neutral politically. Like last year was on the show. The Redskins' name was such a hot issue. Okay. Talk to him about that, and he just gives the perfect answer. Uh-huh. You know, when I talked to him a little bit about The Undefeated, the site that ESPN is essentially creating for African-Americans in sports. Oh, right. You know, yes, he, if handled, he wanted to be involved. You know, he handled right. that. You know, basically said, I don't see why we need it. was sort of his response. Sure. But he was great. I don't think we'll have anyone that good on today. that's a joke i'm sure our guests will be great yeah um but it is season five episode 32 october 13th 2015 um you could find that mike chico podcast we might as well mention it yeah jonah carey was on as well you can find it on our website www.sports-casters.com and of course on itunes and stitcher all right let's do three things on three, one. Alrighty, I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. All right, so I wanted to start sort of selfishly. And say that hockey is here and Jack Eichel has arrived. Yeah, no kidding. So before the podcast last week, or when we recorded the podcast last week, it was just about maybe the day before the season or the day of the season. And since Jack Eichel, the Sables have played three games, have only won one. Um, really got kind of, I don't want to say hosed because they were certainly offsides, but 
they're the first victim of the newly re- right, reviewable yeah. offsides. I want to say the NHL is allowing reviews mm-hmm. on offsides. Here's what I don't like about it. You're never going to award a goal. You're only going to take goals away with that. Sure, yeah. Because if the guy's offsides, they just blow the play dead and a goal doesn't happen. And also these linesmen aren't going to want to get overturned, so you're going to see a lot more whistles on borderline uh, offsides. That's what I was wondering. I wondered, are they encouraged? Like I'm sure in the NFL they're encouraged to rule something as a turnover because it will get reviewed anyway. Are they encouraged on a 50-50 one, just let it slide, and then the coach can always review it? Probably not, right? They yeah. probably aren't coached up at all. And I hate the idea that you're encouraged in the NFL to call something a turnover because then you need it to be indisputable. Right. You know what I mean? The only things I like them to let go in the NFL are stuff that involve the whistle. Sure. Okay. You know yeah. what I mean? But uh, Yeah, so hockey is back. Uh, now, I'm having fun on Twitter. Real quick about the review thing. I don't. Maybe you don't know the answer to this. So maybe it's a bad question to ask on the air. But uh, what it, does the offside have to lead directly to the goal? Like if they were offside, then they cleared the puck. But in this course of the same play, like they went onside. Yeah. No one rush. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because I mean, this that, that was a weird one too. In that it 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 led to the goal, but it wasn't like a tic tac toe over the line type play. But it did never come back out or anything. They've actually been reviewing that. The very first time I even knew that was a thing was uh, the first time that Anthony played in Madison Square Garden. Uh, Yale scored a goal to take a lead on Harvard, and it was reviewed for offsides. And oh, really? It wasn't. But hmm. I at the time, I'm like, you can review that? that? I had no idea. Yeah. So now they're doing that in the NHL. I've been having fun kind of teasing people online because McDavid doesn't have a goal yet. <laughs> And then yeah. I got in a thing where I was being trolled by... Uh, Edmonton fans? No, Red Wings fans. Red Wings fans. So bizarre. That apparently, they think we just never wanted Eichel. You know, it's this old argument that we had with Buck Daddy, where we just wanted McDavid and... Right, yeah. Know, That's the part that I don't that think silliness. he ever got, that it was never McDavid or Bust, and that... Like, the argument you can make, and we're rehashing old stuff, right. is, is that there maybe were some defeatist fans here that were just like, we're never going to get the number one guy, and then they were going to be salty about it no matter what. But that was never the reason for tanking. The reason for tanking was that there were two guys in a year when you would be guaranteed one of them. So people won't believe that, I guess, but I don't know. Go back and listen to our podcast. Go back and listen to the local radio vaults. It's, it's all there. Well, we're going to talk more hockey with our guests today, and also Don and I are going to make some picks at the end. By the way, real quick about that, that can't be just Buffalo fans, but anytime, like I follow the NHL on Facebook, and any the both of the uh, goals that Eichel has scored have been featured on there, and always the number one comment is better than McDavid, which I know <laughs> is just trolling, but it's always the number one comment. So maybe people just hate Edmonton that much because it can't all be Sabres fans that are like, oh, yeah, we got the right one. I, I, I'm not going to go into this too far, but I, I I am not surprised Eichel is off to a quicker start. Now it's two games to three. It's such a small sample. But Eichel's been playing against men in the NCAA, and McDavid played against boys. Yeah, I, I think a and lot I, of – I think that that makes a difference. I think people would – are uh, as far as physicality goes, he's more built – for the NHL than McDavid is right away. So I don't think this should be shocking. All right, I wanted to talk about the baseball playoffs. We made some uh, 
We played, had some fun with Don. Ugh. Who's in the baseball playoffs? Totally. Should, should we play who's still in the baseball playoffs? No. With you today, no. <laughs> <laughs> Skip that. But it's been a good start. The Pirates got knocked out. Maybe the second best team they ever had. They were in the playoffs for about two and a half hours. Ran into uh, maybe the best pitcher in, in the world right now. And uh, <laughs> didn't even get a hit or a run. They got a hit, but didn't even get a run. They, uh, thanks for coming out, so to speak. And uh, in the America, or yeah, in the American League wild card. Do you like the one game wild card? I'm sure we've discussed this before. I mean, I don't, I don't love it, but I like the five game DS less. Like at least the wild card, you hadn't won the division or anything. Now I wish it was two best of sevens. Okay, I guess I did not know that. Surprisingly, they still do a five game. Yeah, it's a one, a five, and a seven. Oh, that's bizarre. And a seven. A one, a five, right, right, a seven, right. and a seven. Yeah, yeah that's, that's just strange. Uh, the uh, big thing around the playoffs, obviously, is the slide. So Chase Utley goes in really hard, breaks uh, Tejada's leg, breaks up the double play. It all ends up going right for the Dodgers. They win the game. Uh, and I, I made you watch it, Don. What'd you think? Um, <laughs> for a guy, I played baseball when I was a lot younger. He slides after he gets to the bag. I understand the intention is to break up the double play, but I think breaking up the double play should come in the course of actually sliding onto the bag. He ne- he makes no attempt to slide to the bag. It was late. It was dirty. He suspended it's under appeal is a bad break for the Mets. And Mets Twitter is one of the more intense Twitters I believe there it. is, and they were they were not happy, but... It's sort of hard, like, how far do you get into this? Because all of these DS series now will kind of be over or ending by the time you hear this. Mm-hmm. You know, Texas got off to a 2-0 lead against Toronto. That's 2-2 two to two now. They'll play game five probably before we get this up. You know, in the other one, uh, the Astros, who won the wild card, knocked out the Royals. Is that right? Oh, no, 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 no. The Astros are playing the Royals. Um, excuse me. Uh, the Astros won the wild card game. They're playing the Royals. They had the Royals dead out yesterday. It's 6-2 to two or something in the eighth inning. And the Royals just started hitting and pulled it out. Got like six runs really? in the eighth. It's the best thing about baseball. Won the game. I mean, I'm not a baseball guy, but that's the best thing about it is there's no no clock, nothing like that. If you can go on a run, you can go on a run. Yeah, so we'll talk uh, more about the actual matchups. The Yankees uh, were who, obviously who the Astros beat. Another team that right. was in the playoffs for five minutes. A-Rod was in the playoffs just long enough uh, to pop out in a huge spot <laughs> and further his hideous uh, legacy. <laughs> Uh, real quick, third thing. Did you see all the craziness that went down in college football yesterday? I did not, know. So Wait, Ste- yesterday, Monday? Yeah. Really? No, I didn't. So remember how we used to always have this running joke with Stuart Mandel? We only had him on for scandals. Oh, okay. I, I heard about this. I don't know if these are all scandals, but three things I wanted to talk about. So Steve Spurrier, the old ball coach, gonna retire. just decided he's retiring and he's retiring Right now. now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if that was a force out or he just had enough or what, but they're two and four. Um, and I guess he'd had enough. Sure. So it's too bad to all those kids that he begged to come 
play for. I know, I know. For him. In USC, more scandalous thing, their head coach got sent home basically from practice for being drunk and uh, was eventually fired. And it's coming out that yeah, he's he, been really battling alcoholism for a long time. For a while, and yeah. it's really affected his job. And it's sad. And uh, I feel bad again for the kids that went to play for him. And uh, for him, I, it's hard enough to deal with an addiction in private, let alone if you're in a position where you have to deal with it in the public like that. Yeah, Rome was on blasting the uh, who would make that hire, the athletics director in that. Like, dude, all you would have had to do is like type his name into Google and you should have known better. He never blasted the guy because, like you said, people have problems. But, yeah, that's, that's a rough one. And then speaking of... Coaches, they're not the only ones who get in trouble. Uh, Will Greer, the smart starting quarterback for the 40 Gators, he's suspended for the rest of the year uh, for some kind of uh, band, for for a performance-enhancing drug that kind of isn't a performance-enhancing drug, but if you get caught with it, you get suspended for it. And I guess he gained like 40 pounds in six months. <laughs> so, wow. so Will Greer, wow. we'll, All right. we'll see you next year. It's too bad for the five or six and zero Gators as they get ready to play the five or six and zero LSU this week. Oh, really? Of yeah. all weeks, they yeah. could have had some cupcake team, but... right? And uh, you know, the really interesting thing is that it's going to get a lot of buzzes. There's another one of these running backs that's too good for college, but not quite old enough to go to the NFL. I did hear this? Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to hear what happens with the LSU running back who clearly ready for the NFL today and has a whole year after this one. The rule is three to years after your graduating class. Yeah. Right. So he's going to have to put that ACL out there on the line, both of them, Does for he a whole other year. No, but you know, you know what the problem with that is? Is then you get a label, right? You're the kid who right. quit on your boys at LSU. Sure. And, you know, so that's a really hard thing, I think, to ask a kid to do, too. Yeah, I... I mean, yeah, you get that label, but I mean, how could anybody in their right mind blame this kid? I mean, he's looking at a career where he'll make millions of dollars in the NFL. But all I he think, has to do is stay healthy. And I think what people say is like, well, Adrian Peterson played. Yeah. Todd Gurley played. It becomes like a character thing. Sure. It doesn't make them any. It's yeah. really hard to be the first guy. Yep. And then if you fight them, look at how Maurice Claret's life turned out. Okay, right. Yeah, I knew this was not I, unprecedented. I wonder if they're vulnerable, though. Like, I wonder if right now, if there's ever been a time to fight them, is now. With with the way they're just losing, like, every time they show up in court. Oh, is it? That's an NFL rule? I thought I assumed it was an NCAA rule. No, the NCAA, I mean, you could just walk away from them. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, right. who cares about them? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a... Uh, and he, he, he also made some, some news because he wanted to auction off his jersey. For a charity, and uh, the NCA said no, and got shamed so bad that they said, "Oh, okay, you can auction off your jersey for How charity." How could they not allow that? It's a violation. Even if he doesn't touch a penny of it. Violation. <laughs> Did you ever see the? Uh, there's the guy that does the uh, Super Size Me. He's a 
famous documentary. Yeah, Morgan Spurlock. Spurlock, yeah. He did a thing where he visited like a college campus and practiced with them and stuff like that. And he just kept asking for like, like if he's like, if I offered you this bottle of water I have here, and he's like, nope, I can't take it. Can't take. Like, come on. I mean, I, I get the rule. Like, you don't want these kids driving brand new cars and not going to class and stuff like that. But I can promise you the whole thing. It's just a joke. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. I don't want to get any, anyone in trouble, though. <laughs> uh, so we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back with our first guest. Our next guest is from Vermont and is a graduate of Keene State College. He wrote for many years for the Denver Post, uh, covering the Colorado Avalanche. Wrote one of the coolest hockey books in years, uh, Blood Fuel, the Detroit Red Wings versus the Colorado Avalanche, the inside story of pro sports' best and nastiest rivalries of his era. Today... He's uh, writing about hockey for Bleacher Report, and we're really happy to have him on the show for the second time, uh, a warm sportscasters. Uh, welcome to Adrian Dater. How's it going today, Adrian? Hey, Steve. Good to be with you. A kiss intro with Deuce. I uh, can't ask for better than that. Do you still have the kiss pinball machine? I do. Uh, it needs some repair. Um, it's down in the basement. Um it's uh, but it will it will get fixed. Uh, they they just came out with an updated version of that pinball machine, a brand new one, uh, which is very popular everywhere in pinball places. And um, I'm a little down about that though, in a way, because I'm really counting on that pinball machine to help pay for my kid's college someday. Maybe <laughs> I think it's going to increase in value a lot, and. Uh, but now that they've come out with these new ones, maybe that makes the old originals less valuable. I don't know. But uh, Now, as a guy uh, who's watched a lot of Pawn Stars, I think it's going to work for you because people are okay. going to always be looking to want to have that original one. You know what I mean? Okay, so, good. So, I hope so. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't ever really want to sell it because um, I just I can't believe I still have one. It's, it's, to me, it's just like my favorite possession of all. Uh, it's just to me. I love I love pinball. I've always loved pinball, um, and I loved Kiss. So when you combine those two, it's like <laughs> it's it's great. Uh, I was I found it off a guy in Colorado here and um, and bought it, and uh, I've never regretted it. So how uh, many, even though it's sort of sitting in the dust down there, how many Kiss um, shows have you been to? Oh, I've been to probably ten Kiss shows. Uh, First one was in Worcester, Mass. in 1983. Um, hilarious story attached to that, which we'll go into. But basically, the, the funny tagline of that story is, uh, I was driving to the show, car broke down, had to call my parents to meet me halfway, but we left the tickets in the car, stupidly. Oh, no. But my dad, my dad met me, my mom, my mom and stepfather realized I left the tickets in the car, so there's no cell phones in 1983, of course, so by serendipity, they realized that I, you know, um, 
did what I did, and uh, they drove and somehow saw each other on the road, <laughs> trying to trying to flag each other down. So we got the tickets. We barely made it to the show on time. That's uh, amazing. Missed the, missed the autograph signing at the Strawberry Store in downtown Worcester, Mass. Though, which I'm still mad about, but but uh, I did get to interview Paul Stanley last year, though too. That was a career highlight. Um, interviewed him for a story for the paper, and uh, I still have the 15 minute interview on my my iPad. So, uh, as a fan, uh, as a fan, did it mean something to you when they finally got inducted to the Hall of Fame? Oh, yeah, I did. I mean, Paul was all um, ridiculing the voters for in the, in the Hall of Fame itself, and, you know, we're, you guys are way too late and all that stuff. But, yeah, it was, it was cool. I mean, look, Kiss was never, I mean, look, I'm not Beatles fanatic for music more than Kiss, right? I'm not, I don't, I never looked at Kiss as the music is the most, the most awesome thing, about, although I love a lot of Kiss songs. But uh, you know, I love I like good music. <laughs> I like Beatles and all those good bands. But uh, it's just something that it, that uh, anybody who lived from the seventies on, as young, especially young adolescent males, there's just something about the way they looked and stuff that drew you in. It was like it was powerful, and they were just a, a force, you know, marketing and it, and it just seemed so cool to me, you know. And uh, superheroes, that whole thing, and. Uh, even though I never really listened to the albums as much growing up, getting older, it's still, uh, anytime I see Kiss, you know, it's like, oh, that's me, that's my childhood, that's, that's, that's what I used to be just obsessed by. Are you passing on the music you love to your son? Oh, yeah, he, he's a Kiss fan. I took him to a show. Yeah, he's, he's 11 now. I think we went a few years ago. Their show in Denver. That's awesome. fantastic. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, he, he loves them. He, uh, He's. I, I tried to teach him guitar, and he's he's learning. He learned a little bit. Of, um, he learned a little bit of Love Gun. So, well, hopefully, uh, wouldn't wouldn't hurt me. It wouldn't uh, disappoint me at all if he goes into music or something. Because uh, he's. he's uh, I just uh, still love still everything. Love everything about the music business and, and everything that goes with it. Well, I could talk to you about hockey all day, or excuse me, music all day, but people will get mad at me. Uh, for not talking to you about hockey. And, um, you know, this is something I was really curious about because you've had such a such a strange uh, last year or so. But what I was curious about is you spent so much time focusing on the avalanche. And now in your role for Bleacher Report, you're looking at the league through a much wider lens and, and being a more national hockey writer. Um, yeah. how are you adjusting to that? Do you enjoy it or do you miss the kind of day-to-day, uh, beat writer type mentality of covering a team for a newspaper? Oh, that's a good question. And uh, it's probably I'd answer on definitely on different days still. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I've got 30 teams to cover now and not just one, even though I was known as a national, you know, Sunday column, right. stuff from the Sunday paper and looked at the league, but that was, you know, you can't do that as a beat writer for a team. You, you can't devote your time to the rest of the league, um, like very well. So, um, I, uh, I don't miss a lot of things about it. Um, so though, I, I really traveled a lot in those 20 years. Um, I had, I think over a million air miles, about 
fourteen, fifteen hundred hotel room nights. Wow. Travels translates into about what four years alone in the hotel room. Um and um I got you know I I there were times that really got to me and uh, you know, I I had a couple problems based on it too. I mean I I couldn't sleep very well. I got kinda um hooked on a sleeping pill and uh all kinds of things like that. Kinda just just uh, didn't make me feel like a very healthy person at times. And um, um, while I loved being at the rink and the act of writing, much of the rest of the business itself I was not enjoying anymore. And, uh, um, you know, travel was part of that, I think. It's just, you know, being at the rink is great schlepping to the airport and waiting two hours for a flight and then getting on the flight and having delays and, and then, uh, you know, having a wife and son, you know, yelling at you for missing something that they did. And, uh, you know, um, it, it, it can, it's, it, it can take a toll more than I ever realized. Um, and, uh, uh, so right now I'm, I'm national, yeah, kind of a national guy for Bleacher Report and I'm enjoying it. I'm just sort of, <clears throat> Slotting into the uh, more of a full time role of that now, and, uh, and and you know I feel like I got four or five stories on my plate at once that I'm trying to do, um, and that's a little different. So I'm adjusting to that. Like, but the beat writer for a newspaper, you just you know it's always you know game practice, uh, morning skate, notes, you know pre game story, you know post game you know, game post game story. Right. It's just kind of a, you're definitely on a routine. And yeah, you got one thing to focus on at all times, usually. Sometimes you got a feature story too you're working on, but generally you just got to have the thing in front of you all the time. I mean, it's very, very regimented. And yeah, I like regimentation too, though. So sometimes, like, I like to schedule. So I'm, I'm dealing with the freedom, uh, still adjusting to that, but uh, I'm optimistic that I'll do well with it. Uh, there's a lot of stories I want to try and do with real more, more time than I ever used to have. As a newspaper guy, and uh, uh, yeah, I hope that I just hope it all uh, works well because I still enjoy hockey a lot, and I still like like the people in the game, and, and that's never changed. So uh, that's still I'm so fortunate to be still covering the league. I do. Uh, hockey's a very close, close community of people. I think, and uh, everybody kind of looks out for each other. And I think uh, you know it's. it's it's always that's always something I've really uh, enjoyed about the about the experience of doing it. One last thing about the beat and the abs, and then I want to move on to Bleacher Report and talk about the season. When you look back at all that time covering the team, is there a signature moment for you? Is there a maybe the first cup, maybe the second cup, maybe even something smaller that someone like me would would never think of? Is is it when you look back at it? Is there a a time we say, man, I was so lucky to have been the beat writer mm. at that time. Well, first of all, I was lucky to cover the team I did. I mean, it was a great team from day one, right off the hop. They won a Stanley Cup. Right. Um, I covered a boyhood hero, Ray Bork, to win the second cup. Um, I was a teenager and living in New Hampshire when he was a Boston Bruin. <laughs> and I was a fan, you know, and then there I was covering him years later as a player. I mean, it was kind of ridiculous when we thought about it. And, and and his first cup, his one and only cup, last game. And he's just such a classic story. I can't believe I was there for it. And uh, 
the night he was inducted to the Hall of Fame, I was there in Toronto, and he, who, who, he came back to the hotel, and there was like, um, I was sitting at the uh, at the bar in the hotel there with what's a guy named Russ Conway, who's a great former hockey writer for the Lawrence Eagle Tribune in Massachusetts. He wrote a book which I would urge everyone to buy out, go out and read. Probably the best hockey book, best game book I ever read was it's called uh, Game Misconduct. Uh, it's the story about how he essentially took down Alan Eagleson alone with his reporting, the old corrupt NHLPA boss. Uh, and it's just, it's just a, any reporter out there, any hopeful reporter should run to buy that book because you learn a lot. You learn about hockey too from the inside. Um, but anyway, I was checking with him a little bit and after, uh, end, end of the night and, uh, who walked in but Ray Bork and kind of alone in a way too. It ended up sitting with me and Russ and I think his girlfriend. We just sat there and had a couple more beers, and Ray Ward starts telling me stories about his whole career um, and, and life. You know, and like, come on, this can't be true. So, uh, but uh, career highlights, you know, I still, I still remember that first road trip I ever took, um, covering the team preseason 1995. Uh, we're all off on a plane to um, Quebec. Uh, Let's see, Cornwall, Ontario is where it was. First Avalanche preseason game ever. Cornwall, Ontario, the former home of their minor league team, and uh, uh, they played the Canadians. And I just it was first game ever. They had their new uniforms. They had. Um, I'd never been traveling anywhere. I thought the hotel we stayed in was awesome, and it turned out you know they thought it was a dump. I think it was a Holiday Inn or something. I'm like, wow, <laughs> free TV, free TV. Um, I mean, I got a, you know, I just couldn't believe it. And, uh, we went on there from Montreal to the forum to have a game. And I think with Maple Leaf Gardens was on that trip and, uh, Hart, the old civic center in Hartford we had on that trip. Too. If you had to press me on the most memorable, I still come back to that just because everything was so fresh and new. And I just right. I couldn't believe that this was all happening. And just, and it, I think it made it even more so because it was a brand new team and we were all sort of starting out together. I rode the buses with the with the team. I flew on the airplane uh, during the trip, which was, you know, talk about Kid Casey from Vermont, New Hampshire. I mean, here I'm on a tricked out jet with a pro team. I mean, I just, you know, to me, I still I still think about that and go, wow, how did that happen? Well, speaking of fresh and new, you've been you've been working full time with Beecher Report and covering hockey there, and I always wonder this. Uh, whether it was the first time I talked to Katie Baker when she started at Grantland or uh, someone from Sports Illustrated, what do you perceive? How do you think Bleacher Report feels about hockey and where hockey fits in on its site? Well, I think they like hockey. They have a um, couple editors that are really devoted to it. Um, you know that I deal with a lot, and uh, um. They they care a lot about it. They don't. They they also know it's it's um, we're in the United States and uh, hockey is not going to be usually the lead story on their site most of the time. Probably that's just that's just the way it is. And the same is true for ESPN's website and um, Yahoo's website and anybody else's website, any newspaper's website, probably. 
stop for those in Canada, where it is usually the lead story. Right, or um, Buffalo. So, it's, um, it's just the way it is, you know, sometimes you can get frustrated by that as a reporter, covering hockey, um, but, you know, you also, it's also, I think sometimes you think, you like it in a way, you don't, you don't want to be, sometimes you don't want to be thrown in with the mass cult, popular cultural where everybody's, you know, four million, you know, I don't know, I just, uh, to me it seems like uh, you know, hockey, sometimes you appreciate the fact that hockey is, you, you get to, you get to be a bit of a snob as a hockey guy, but I'm trying to say you're a hockey person, you, you, you think it's a acquired taste that only really smart people can get, right? That's right. kind of what you tell yourself, <laughs> and uh, all the other people who don't get it, you know, uh, they're off, you know, doing the 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 um, mass pop culture kind of stuff that that doesn't mean much. But we're we're the ones with the real true sport that matters, you know. So that's that's what I usually tell myself when when I see the traffic total <laughs> may not be as equal to the, you know, whatever Tom Brady just said on the on the, on TV or somebody said about his his wife or whatever, you know. It's, we got our we got our pure sport to recover, and if the rest of the people don't get it, well, too bad. You know, it, it wasn't that long ago that I thought of Bleacher Report as a site where I just had to click through slideshows, and it's come yeah. so far from that. And it yeah. really it has it has a great app too, and um, uh, it, it's just it's it's a much better website than it was a long time ago. When you yeah, I, it is it's yeah. Um, you know, they hired writers from the New York Times and pretty well-known guys covered basketball and football. And, uh, um, you know, they, they definitely, uh, everybody who writes to that site, basically, you know, is a professional journalist now. And, you know, it started out as more of a fan site. Um, and uh, so, and believe me, they have a really rigorous editing system where nothing that appears on that site hasn't been fully edited, trust me. Um, more than I had at the paper, believe it or not. So, um, it's, uh, it's definitely a, a place where I think the reputation should get better and better. My presence notwithstanding. <laughs> well, that's kind of that's kind of just what I wanted to ask you. It's kind of the last thing before we get into talking about the actual game is it, the site has improved so much. And I was just wondering, when you were getting ready to step into your role on it, Excuse me. Was there any anything specific that you think you can bring to improve people's perception of Bleacher Report as a hockey website? I mean, I just hope to bring you know twenty years of knowing people in the game and all, all my uh, times covering the sport that uh, hopefully translates into uh, better, you know, a good at least from my corner, good, better, you know, better stories, better told stories, and uh, you know. 20 years of contacts that I can hopefully bring um, to the table. Uh, uh, I never got tired of the writing process itself, so that's that's something that I've always kept with me. You know, I um, I like to write. I don't. It doesn't have to be about sports, you know. But let's face it, that's probably what I'm still best at. Is I've tried to write screenplays and stuff like that, and sold about non-sports stuff. Um, and, you know, I'm interested in a lot of different subjects besides sports, but, uh, uh, yeah, I, I mean, what do I bring? I bring, I bring 20 years. That's what I bring. And, uh, 
Um, um, I uh, always prided myself on my writing first. You know, I, um, I like to think I was a good reporter too, and broke 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 my share of stories. But uh, but you know, especially writing feature stories and really digging into things and telling uh, observationally, I think I'm a good writer that way. Um, and um, you know, um, to me, that's where I'm at my best when I can maybe take a a person or anything and expand on it a lot and just write that really good feature story where it uh, has a little more meat on its bones to it than, than say, you know, your 14-inch game story that you wrote in five, you know, 15 minutes after a game. You know, that that is something I don't miss either. <laughs> I uh, bet. That, it's just I don't miss that. This is one of my favorite questions. I ask it all the time. Going into this season... What what are the things a guy like you said twenty years watching this game such a keen eye uh, for a good hockey story going into the season? What were some things on your mind that you really want to see develop? Maybe you write about it, maybe you don't. But what are some of the big things going into this season that excite you about the twenty fifteen twenty sixteen NHL hockey season? Well. Um... Excites me. I mean, Connor McDavid excited me. He hasn't scored his first goal the other night, but uh, the hype around this kid. I mean, I hadn't seen him play that much. Most U.S. writers don't get to see these kids play, and they're in Canada and junior, and you, you never see him play, right? Until they come over here. So, um, so I was excited about that, and I still am. I think he. It's definitely. It's this. You can already tell him it's not. This ain't junior anymore, kid. It, these guys today in the NHL are just such better skaters than they used to be. The defense is so much faster than it used to be. The, the, the way the defenseman can skate, you pivot, they pivot. You, it's they're like mirrors on players now. You, you really have to get like just a bang bang lucky rebound kind of goal, on, or just a goalie misses a shot here now, now and then, but. It honestly, it really looks like a guy trying to uh, escape his own shadow when he's trying to get around a defenseman now. It's like impossible. They're so much faster. You can see McDavid is just, yeah, he's getting a couple chances per game, but he, he's not out there dominating the whole game. So I guess that's what I'm learning so far. And I thought, no, maybe this kid is just a Superman, that he's going to be so awesome that this is going to be an amazing story. But yeah, so far he looked a little bit kind of, you know, good player, but. That's it so far. So anyway, he. Uh, uh, I don't think there's any <clears throat> particular overriding super angle on this season, though, that I was like looking at. I I think I think league is just keeps getting younger and younger, and uh, I guess I'm interested in to see how how it keeps evolving that way, youth wise. I mean, talking to some agents and hockey people lately, you know, it's just, you're getting guys that are 30 years old now that can't get a job. Um, they're good players, too, like Curtis Glencross, who played for years in Calgary and Washington last year. He's 30 and he's out of a job and he can't get a job because yeah. it's just all these players, all these teams want these, you know, um, they want to be known as these young, fast, building for the future kind of teams. Um, and that's changing, you know, that's changed for a few, even a few years ago where a lot of GMs said, ah, we got to have that experienced team that can win now. And, um, now everybody wants that 
that core of like 18 to 24 year olds to build to have sitting around at all times and that's that's going that's your core now it used to be you know 23 to 30 33 was your core now it's 18 to 24 25 so that's to me is interesting thing and everybody keeps talking about that other than that you know i I don't know. Uh, just um, not nothing. Not nothing all that you know exciting. I, I think it's just uh, we need to keep waiting for the season to keep going along, or to have a few more definitive storylines to, to really focus in on. I think. Did you get to see any three on three yet in uh, in a in a real game? I know that they they did a lot in the preseason, but have you got to watch any uh, in a regular season game? Yet? No, I still have not been at a game where that happened, but. Uh, you know, I've seen it on TV, and I think it's exciting. I mean, I don't know. I, I also think it's the same criticism that people had about the shootout that uh, just a handful of players are going to decide a team game. The same thing's happening with three-on-three, three, though. I mean, the same three guys are going to be out there all the time, pretty much for two minutes, maybe a couple others. Um, but, uh, you know, it's still the same four or five guys that are deciding games. In uh, just like it was in the shootout, so uh, to me, it, yeah, it may be a little more fun to watch them skate around with all that big white ice around. But uh, yeah, to me, it's still it's not you know it's not real hockey. It's 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 a gimmick. But uh, I also don't like never like tie games. So I, whatever way to get the final a winner and a loser uh, is fine by me. I guess I don't, I never really I I didn't mind the shootout. I didn't love the shootout. Um, I don't seem to love the three on three, but I don't hate it either. Whatever, whatever gets the game over with. Are there any players that you're you're interested to see what kind of what kind of step they can make? You know, Jonathan Drouin comes to mind uh, from my end, just as a guy who, you know, obviously didn't stick with the team the first year, got to really get his feet wet. Now I'm really curious to see what kind of step he can make this year. Are there some guys maybe in your mind that you're interested to watch as the season go, goes on? You mentioned McDavid, obviously. Are there any other guys that you're really curious to see uh, what kind of impact they can make, make on the league, whether it be a first time or an improvement on what we've seen already from them? Yeah, I mean, a couple guys. Uh, one of them's right here in Denver, Nathan McKinnon. Uh, I think he's uh, definitely a guy to keep an eye on. He's got six points in his first three games. Um, rookie of the year two years ago had a sophomore slump last year and uh, and now he's uh, now he looks back to his old ways again he's he's a center now not a winger like he was most of his first two years and that that will help him a lot I mean this kid was don't forget this kid was sort of a, you know being compared in some ways to Crosby too when he came out I and mean, he was the talk of the whole league now it's funny he's like kind of forgotten about guy um uh, just two years later with McDavid and Eichel. And, yeah. um, you know, so, uh, I mean, obviously, I think Eichel is turning a lot of heads already. He's, uh, people thought, yeah, Buffalo got the, the uh, you know, the second best guy, the runner-up prize. But I still think while the majority of scouts and GMs and even probably even Buffalo's own GM would, would take McDavid if they could do it now and redo the history, this guy looks like a pretty nice runner-up, more than we thought. Um, really fast, really, really strong on escape, really, really aggressive on the clock. Uh, just authoritative. You know, that's what it seems like to me. He is. He's not a. He's not a guy who just kind of skates around with it for 
two or three seconds and makes him whip it a little play and then kind of dashes around way hopes for the puck again. He's he's like he go goes and gets the puck and does really strong things with it. So um, the kid from Detroit, uh, Larkin, Dylan Larkin, I yeah. mean, he looks pretty good to me too. And so do yeah. the Red Wings. What are they four and zero? I mean, wow! Uh, just when you think they're on the decline, here they come again. The Red Wings. Um, <laughs> very ironic that Mike Babcock departure too uh, seems to uh, have paid some. They seem to be doing fine without him. Let's just say. Um, but the kid Larkin definitely looks like a player, and I mean, it's a great story too. You know, first teenager and all since what Eisenman years and. Uh, and he's from Michigan, so wow. He used to have a particular, I mean, it looks like to me, great story in the making there. Uh, Noah Hannafin, uh, definitely like him as a player. Uh, not many people probably know him outside of hardcore hockey circles, but uh, yeah, boy, BC, I like his name a lot too. And, you know, I think he's going to be a good player. Um, lots of good young, long players. There's no shortage of quality young players. I mean, to me, that's the bigger story of the league in the last couple of three years. It's just these eighteen-year-olds that are coming in and uh, being main guys. You know, eighteen years old. You know, yeah, that used to be unheard of. <laughs> except if your name wasn't Bobby Orr. Or, I mean, even Gretzky was nineteen when he first came in. Really, so no, actually, he was eighteen when he came in. But anyway, uh, it's, uh, it's going to be more and more commonplace. I think. I mean, just imagine. To, you know, in the future, you're going to have ten-year veterans. And they're going to be 28, you know. <laughs> it used to be the prime of careers just when guys are getting started sometimes. Now it's 10-year veterans. I mean, uh, pretty pretty amazing. Matt Duchesne's a seventh-year veteran already with Colorado, and he's all of 25. Yeah, and, you know, this is something that I talk a lot about on the show because I've seen it play out in my, old fa- in my own family. And my, my brother, um, you know, went to and played D1 hockey at Yale. And, you know, he had that moment where, you know, it's like, am I going to stick to the USHL NCAA path or do I want to go the CHL path? And I think more and more every year, especially for United States players, there's no reason to go there. And I think a reason why I've watched every second so far of Eichel and I've watched every second so far of McDavid and Eichel just looks a little bit more prepared out of the gate just because he he played against men last year, you know, where yeah. Eichel was playing with, or excuse me, McDavid was just toying with 15, 16, 17-year-old yeah. boys. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that the yeah. way we're developing hockey players in the United States right now, um, if you're a top, top guy, you can go to the development program at 16 years old. You know, you don't have to run to Canada. You know, if you're a late bloomer, yeah. you can go to the USHL. You can go develop in college hockey. I just think that uh, that's a big reason why, in my opinion, why so many of the younger players have been able to make an impact earlier, and why maybe a Larkin and an Eichel um, can and, and Noah Hannafin can come out so fast. Um, and of course, I mean, obviously, uh, there's countless players that the CHL works out just fine for. I'm not discounting that. But I do think there is as an advantage of spending that year before the NHL uh, playing against you know an average age of twenty one or twenty two instead of seventeen or whatever. Well, it certainly makes sense as a theory. Um, 
we'll, we'll find out more about your, the truth of your theory maybe next year when uh, Austin Matthews comes out. Yeah, he went straight um, pro. <laughs> he didn't. Yeah, he's yeah. been pro playing for Mark Crossford in Switzerland right now. Yeah, so he skipped them he's, both. Uh, I think he's collecting a uh, $700,000 paycheck already as a Swiss player and uh, uh, playing against pros, but he'll be presumed number one pick in the draft next year. So, uh, yeah, we'll see when he comes out. <laughs> I think that everybody was thinking the Phoenix Coyotes were going to be the uh, favorite to get him, the Scottsdale native. Right. Uh Born and bred in Arizona, and um, now the Coyotes are three and zero and look great. So I guess they're they're, they're not doing it's, they're not in the Matthews sweepstakes right now. Uh, teams like uh, Columbus and um, Carolina are, are, are the league leaders. Maybe um, a couple other winless teams right now. Uh, LA Kings. So we'll see. That's another story, by the way, that I'm think working on is like. More and more kids from these hockey southern, you know, sun cities that Gretzky got off the ground in the, in the late '80s are sort of finally producing fruition. As all those youth leagues that started started up around those cities in Phoenix and LA, you're seeing a lot of players come out from come out of California now, especially. Yeah. Look at and the top pick in the draft. Who would have ever thought? Be from Arizona. Um, yeah. And he's not a not a Canadian transplant either. This kid born and bred in Arizona, product of their youth system. Seth Jones, who many thought would be the number one pick two years ago, is a product of the Dallas and, and Denver hockey schools. So um, you know, it's, to me, that's a, another trend that's really gaining a lot of momentum. As uh, as kids, some of the best youth hockey programs around are in California now. Yeah, and I mean, they're really good. I think it's huge for U.S. hockey too. I mean, you look at absolutely. You look at a guy like Sam Bradford, uh, who as a peewee was maybe one of the best United States hockey players in the country, and his family even moved down to Dallas from the Oklahoma area so that he could yep. have a chance to play AAA hockey. But ultimately, you know, he makes the decision to go to football. Uh, but maybe yep. more and more kids in those areas of the country at that age are going to stick with hockey instead. And, and and again, like I said, with how great the development program is in Michigan and with how great the USHL is and the increased, um, the notor- uh, the increased, the increased benefit of NCAA hockey and how many top guys are coming from there. Uh, I think we're going to see more and more of that guys from areas you wouldn't think of as hockey hotbeds in the United States producing superstars or at least players. I agree. I agree. Let's do a few uh, real quick things. Um, uh, give me a team or two that didn't make the playoffs last year you think could make it this year. Um, I would have said the LA Kings is number one. Now I'm a little worried about them. I know it's only three games, but, yeah, they don't look good. Um, they can't score. Um, who didn't make it? Jeez, uh, I think, uh, I mean, <laughs> I might jump on the Phoenix bandwagon already. I, I think they really look fast and look good. I also think the team didn't make it last year that will they'll make it at San Jose. Uh, I think, I think from what I've, a little reporter in me coming out here, I've talked to people around the Sharks. I know a few people there, players included. 
who really think that uh, the changing coach was was necessary. Uh, nothing against Todd McClellan, a good coach, but uh, he'd worn out his welcome there with the players, um, especially after some of that captain stuff that went on. And I don't know, that's not his fault maybe, but it, to me it's just, yeah, change is good. So uh, San Jose, um, who are my other dark horses, though? I'm trying to still figure out who's, I mean, I thought, uh, I don't know, I thought that Boston Bruins would still be in the hunt this year. Uh, they're one and three. They crushed the Avalanche last night, so maybe they're back. I still think they've got a pretty good team that even though they lost a couple of guys, ah, I don't, I'm not as sold on Dougie Hamilton as some other guys are. I mean, this guy is not Bobby Orr or anything. He's, <laughs> he's a good player, a young player, but he's not, I was never blown away by his game, to be honest with you. Don't, tell, don't, don't tell Pierre Maguire yeah. that. I don't think I've ever no, heard that. Well, well he's, talk about love. It's easy, to fall, it's easy to fall in love with guys like that, for sure. Young, <laughs> defense, you know, right shot, that whole thing. Yeah, he's a little soft to me at times. I don't know if I see his, uh, Hard-nosed players, I want. I don't know. That's just me. I might be totally wrong. I'm, but, uh, I'm in Buffalo. We have a lot of listeners from here. Tell us a little bit about what we're going to love and what we might not love about O'Reilly. <clears throat> I always liked O'Reilly a lot. So, to me, there's nothing not you're not going to like about his game. Uh, he's a little slow skater, but uh, he gets there. Um, and... Uh, He's just really smart defensively. He's gonna draw. He's gonna grow on you. How well all the little things he does defensively, the little loose, the loose pucks he manages to get, the little poke checks he makes on guys coming out of the zone, the, just the neat little uh, breakups that he comes in the back check. He'll break up a play. You know, make a smart little smart little pass out of the zone after doing that, and off you go. He's just a he's a much more multi-dimensional player. Than, uh, than than most people realize. I think you have to watch him every day. He's um he, he's he's you know he's put on size in the last few years, so he's, he's better around the net. He gets the loose pucks easier. He holds his ground in front of the net and better than he used to. He was kind of a stronger kid coming up. So he, uh, I think, some of that extra size is arguably you know. Does, hasn't helped his speed, and he, I think that's the only thing you never got to worry about is his speed. Um, he, he tends to have a bit of a labored stride in a way, um, and that's the way it is. But uh, good player, um, is he a seven million dollar player? Eh, yes. Sometimes he is, sometimes he isn't. But he's a very good player, no matter what. It's, it's an asset to have him on the team, and uh, uh, I think he's definitely. He's a leader type too. I know what happened in the summer was a thing, but come on, everybody makes mistakes. Yeah, and he's a he's Not. a good quality guy. He comes from a good quality family, and and so what? We've all been there. So let's let's um, let's withhold all the judgment on that. So um, great great player. I mean, I thought uh, team that wouldn't make didn't make it last year. That would make it was it was Columbus Blue Jackets too. I thought, oh, they look good again. Boom, zero and four. Yeah, they're really and struggling they're too. Yeah, and they're you know, the GM's already throwing the team under the bus with uh, panic, panic statements. So you just never know in this league, do you? It's a strange, strange sport. It's uh, really is. You liked um, uh, you know, in, 
in your Bleacher Report piece, you said you like Florida as a surprise. What do you like about them? Yeah, I like Florida. I like Florida. First of all, I love Guillermo Jagger. I just can't believe he's playing and scoring goals still at age 43. Uh, love, love Jagger. But no, Aaron Ekman that's anchoring that blue line. I mean, that's that's where I like them a lot. You know, this kid's a real good player. I mean, you got that stud number one D-man. It just makes everything so much easier. So Aaron Ekblad is, is the biggest reason why. And then they've got that good little core of young forwards, too, led by Huberto and, and uh, you know, um, so it's it's a it's a it's a team. You, you always you tend to downplay Florida still though because you know the the fans have been so you know they haven't had a winning team in so long. The tenants tenants are still going to lag for a while. You know you do look at their goals for and against last year. I mean they were minus seventeen even though they had ninety one points. Yeah, they still so. But uh, I like them. I like them. I think uh, just give them a little more around the edges to add to that younger core. And uh, when they have an eighth place, seventh place team on their hands here. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, you mentioned Huberto. Uh, don't forget Bukestad, who uh, is, yeah, a, yeah. is a stud too from yeah. uh, the University of Minnesota. He's yep. six six. That kid, two hundred and eighteen pounds, and oh, <clears throat> no, ridiculous. Maybe. Uh, just yep. a, a couple real more quick ones, and I'll let you go. Uh, who do you think, uh, who's your Hart Trophy winner this year? Well, Hart Trophy, I, um, hmm, I guess the way it stands right now, I mean, uh, uh, you, can't, you can't go wrong with thinking about Carey Price again. I mean, yeah. the Canadians are 4-0, you've given up six goals in the four games. Price looks awesome. Might have a repeat repeat here on our hands here. Um, Stamkos is also a great start. Plus, he's in his contract here. I always definitely think that's a factor to consider in betting on guys to have good years or not. Give me a guy in his last year over a guy in the first year of his long deal anytime. That's just me. It'll be really uh, interesting to see if they let him I think get the numbers pointed out. I think the numbers point out that uh, you get a lot of good years in the last year. And that's why I also think Tampa Bay would be dumb. Well, not dumb, but in some ways, you know, smart to keep keep him on, uh, on that leash and uh, have that carrot in front of him. You know, uh, yeah, you're on the risk of losing him for nothing, but. Um, Sounds like know. nobody I think leaves. You get a, a great year out of a guy in the last year, and I've, I've seen too many guys get that long extension and then sort of go right into the tank. And uh, you can't tell me that the contract didn't have something to do with it. I mean, um, just look at Paul Staffney's first year with St. Louis after a huge, huge contract. Uh, he, was, he was very average last year, but he was great in his contract year. Right. Um, then he signed a long deal. He, I thought he was, you know, kind of average a lot in his first few years. It was huge deal he signed with Colorado. Last contract year, great year. First year with St. Louis, not so good. So, uh, Winnipeg Jets look good. Uh, I don't think they have any hard trophy winners, but, uh, I really, I really like that team too. And uh, Tyler Myers looks a lot better than everybody else. I don't know. I hope Buffalo didn't. It's starting to look a little iffy there for Buffalo on that deal in some ways. Cause although Kane looks good in Buffalo too, I think uh, wow, Myers looks really good in, in Winnipeg. And now you, now you, you always worry about that as a Saber fan, right? He needed the don't change. Don't want to give up on that big defenseman. Yeah, I think he needed the change though. You know when he won, yeah. when he won the Rookie of the Year, I thought that. 
he was the first Sabre in a long time that had a ceiling where he could literally be the best Sabre of all time. You know, like he had that, you don't get guys who have that potential ceiling very often. And I thought he was the guy, but he didn't handle uh, the decline of the team very well at all. And I, I don't think it was going to click here for that for him. And I knew that he would go somewhere else and shine because he, he's so talented. But um, hold on. but I think uh, I think we'll do all right. I think Kane is going to be a really really a uh, huge asset on the team, and Bogosian's going to really help him as well. So yeah, but that is that's true. Bogosian's yeah. a good player too. That's a deal that's proverbial deal that works right. out for both. All right, well give both me a guys. give me a cut pick, and then we can let you go. Okay, well, first of all, you know about the Bader Jinx, right? So, yes, oh yeah. Um, Legendary. It's, famous. it's, yeah. it's definitely true. <laughs> um, uh, I said Anaheim for a year, and I'm going to stick with Anaheim, even though they're 0-2-1. Uh, too much talent there, too many good young players. Um, can't believe they only have one goal in three games, but that'll change. Corey Perry gets lost. Kessler... Um, the kid from the Rangers, Haglin, uh, Silverberg, they're going to score goals. I still like the Anaheim Ducks for, for their overall depth and everything. So, Anaheim Ducks. Adrian Dater is on Twitter. He's at A D A T E R, uh, in case you're wondering about the spelling. Please check out his book if you haven't. Uh, he's written a few, but make sure you check out uh, the Avs. And, uh, Red Wings book, and he's writing on Bleacher Report. His columns there is just going to make the hockey writing on Bleacher Report so much better. And Adrian, if you want to come to Buffalo and see the oh, yeah. and see the Pagula money and how that's spending around the arena, and see the Harbor Center, and see Ike oh, and your old a lot better. Like really, is it it's, it's unbelievable. Like three years. It, oh, it blow your mind what it looks like down really? there. It blow your mind. I love Buffalo. I always love Buffalo. I miss it. Um, boy, I'll never forget being there in the '98 Finals and uh, just walking around. I got, to, you know, and then I got a car one night and drove to the. Of course, I drove to the falls. Right. Took, took my honeymoon at the falls too. I love the falls, but uh, I'll tell you, I really love the other areas that I got to explore: Niagara on the Lakes and Amherst and uh, all those suburbs. The pretty lakes everywhere. Um, Awesome place, Buffalo. Uh, and I like the city, too. I like old, gritty cities. So I, anybody who ever made a joke about Buffalo uh, made a joke about, you know, defended me. So uh, uh, I like I like, I like like cities like Buffalo a lot. And, uh, you know, always enjoyed it. I hope to get there again soon, that's for sure. Uh, Calm down. Doing a lot of- Come down this year. Yeah. You got to write about right. Eichel, and you got to write about the Pagula money and the Harbor Center and all that stuff. Uh, I'll take you. Great to meet you. I'll take you for that. the best best chicken wings in the world. I'll take you to the right spot. Yeah. No joking around. Yeah. And um, I, uh, that sounds like a deal to me. I'll take you up on that for sure. I'm uh, um, anytime I can get there is great. I, I absolutely love driving to the falls, dude. I mean, I just can't. To me, that just blows me away every time I see that thing. And, it's just like what? And that's I'm another area that's, there for hundreds of years. I mean. The same thing. It never changes. It's amazing. How can that not erode or change something? I think it's amazing to me, the world, isn't it? Yeah, and that's it's another area that's developed. <laughs> I, I can't believe how close you can come to the edge of it, though, too. Like, <laughs> Someone just that fell. Railing is, yeah. That railing is not very high. 
Yeah, someone. I see kids. I see. I see parents with kids on their shoulders and stuff on that. I always get really nervous. Like, geez, don't put a kid on your shoulders around the edge of the fall, please. <laughs> Making me nervous here. You get my OCD up. Anything else you want to promote? That's funny you ask. Uh, I am writing a book about my twenty years covering the Avalanche. It's uh, it's going to be called. It's part of a formula book. By Triumph, it's part of their 100 Things series. 100 Things You Should Know and Do About the, Your Team. There's a, just about every team in pro sports, there's a book on these now, usually written by a local writer. But I'm doing the one on the Avalanche, and uh, it's kind of a first person y book, uh, though, very first person y. My memories of 20 years of covering the team and lots of stories I've never told before and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, uh, Hope hope, uh, hope people pick it up. It's, uh, it should be out next year at some time. But uh, I'm about two thirds of the way through it now, and uh, uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully it's a good read for for hockey fans. But it'll definitely be hopefully one for Avalanche fans. But it's definitely a, twenty years of my memories of covering the NHL. Let's put it that way. We have a book club, and we'll make sure uh, we feature it when it yeah. comes out for sure. All right, Steve. Thanks. Uh, thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Me too. Talk to you later. Yep. Oh, that was a little loud. I want to thank Adrian Dater for being on the podcast today. It's actually Thursday at 5 o'clock. Don and I had recorded a book club update uh, that I was going to play here. Uh, we mentioned at the top of the show how it was a little bit fluid. And I just kind of wanted to update everyone before I throw this up. Uh, Adrian and I just did 45 minutes on hockey, previewing the NHL season, talking a little bit about his career. I think you're going to love that. An extra kind of treat of the podcast is what we're going to do next. Uh, I had a chance to talk to Kenny Albert, who for about, he had about 15 minutes or so. He didn't have a lot of time, but he called the game, the Blue Jays, uh, the Blue Jays game five against the Rangers, and we all know how crazy it was. And when Don and I were talking on Tuesday, we had no idea what was going to happen with baseball playoffs, and I think we kind of expressed our frustration with that. Um, and this is awesome. So I want to thank Kenny Albert for doing this, and he really gives us a look behind the scenes at, at kind of what went on in the building and in that inning. And it's two weeks in a row. It's so cool the last podcast, we had Mike Tirico, who was able to come in and tell us about the behind-the-scenes workings and the mechanics of uh, the batted ball play at the end of Seattle and Detroit. And now we have um, we have Kenny to talk about this Blue Jays game. Uh, so we're going to get to Kenny Albert in one second. Uh, the Book Club Book of the Month is the best American sports writing 2015. We'll talk more about that next week. Uh, but um, thanks to Adrian, and uh, let's get to Kenny Albert. Our next guest called one of the greatest division round football games a few years ago when the Saints and the 49ers played an epic. And yesterday, 
he called one of the greatest Major League Baseball uh, division series rounds. And just like when the 49ers beat the Saints, he's nice enough to join us today after today. A Warren Sportscasters welcome to our friend Kenny Albert. You think anyone's going to get that you dropped the bomb on me as a Batista bomb reference, or was that wasted, you think? <laughs> well, Steve, first of all, thanks for having me on. And, and it was quite a night, uh, afternoon into evening in Toronto, and uh, so much to talk about. Obviously, the 53 the minute seven inning, uh, seventh inning, and. Right. Uh, all of the craziness that that took place. So uh, still kind of wrapping my head around everything that went on, but it was uh, a game that I'll remember for a long, long time. I think we're going to talk mostly about that seventh inning. Before we jump right into that, I always wonder about process and things like that. When you get ready to call a Major League Baseball Game 5, a true elimination game in the sense of uh, the way all in a NFL playoff games are or the way a Major League Baseball or an NHL Game 7 would be. Um, what's the preparation like for you in terms of differences or similarities? How do you prepare for a game like that when it's baseball? Well, on one hand, no matter what type of game it is, whether it's a preseason game, Game 1 of the regular season, or a deciding game, on one hand, I try to prepare the same way because in my mind, every game you know should be the most important one that you've ever done. But there are certain things that you do to get ready for deciding whether it's a game five in a divisional round or a game seven, um, such as have historical information ready. Uh, you know, the fact that it was the first ever winner take all game at Rogers Center. The Blue Jays had only played in one, and that was at Exhibition Stadium back in 85. Uh, the fact that the Rangers had not done well in, in elimination games in their history. The fact that the Blue Jays had not won a home playoff game or a series since the Joe Carter home run in 93. So, you know, the, the actual game preparation isn't too much different than, than what it normally would be, but you, you have to have all those historical-type uh, nuggets ready to go as well. Yeah, and, you know, the game started pretty routine in the sense that Texas got ahead a little bit, then Batista hit his first home run, uh, then the game gets tied in the bottom of the sixth, and then just everything goes nuts. Last yeah, it was crazy. I mean, we had a 43-minute inning earlier, and then uh, what took place in, in the seventh, um, you, you know, and we had so many storylines, you know, between Marcus Stroman, not David Price, starting for the Blue Jays, yeah. uh, the road team winning each of the first four games, Toronto losing games one and two at home after a, a tremendous season, uh, you know, 93 wins and 53 at home during the regular season. So there was just so much to talk about, and, and two uh, real interesting characters in, in both John Gibbons, the Blue Jays manager, and, and Jeff Bannister, the manager of the Rangers, two guys who really persevered. You know, they played a combined 19 games in the major leagues during their careers, and both uh, first time in the postseason and uh, matched up against one another in this series. So uh, just a lot of fun to be a part of it, and, and certainly the seventh inning was one that, that we'll all remember for a long time. Last week we had Mike Tirico on, and it was actually the day after the um, the batted ball thing in Seattle. And I got to ask him about the mechanics behind the scenes of kind of uncovering that rule and uh, how they presented it. When the strange play with the catcher throwing the ball and it hitting the bat, can you kind of take us through 
what your thought process was describing what was going on in the field and then kind of the mechanics of how everything came together to to get the rule which you guys got really quick and and explaining it and kind of like take us through that in a in a in a, in a way that we weren't able to see watching as viewers well i, I certainly try to pride myself on uh, knowing the rules no matter what sport it is whether it's football hockey baseball basketball and I read the entire NFL rule book from cover to cover every August and, and do the same thing with the NHL every September. And, you know, we have Mike Pereira at Fox who does a tremendous Amazing. job. I think Amazing. he knows the NFL yep. rules as well as anybody in any sport knows their rules. Um, as far as yesterday goes, um, Harold immediately, Harold Reynolds, uh, as, as Martin's throw, you know, hits off two. Harold immediately said, that's a live ball. And he has, you know, thousands of games experience uh, playing as a youth, as a minor league player, as a major leaguer. So uh, big props to Harold for, you know, picking it up right away. Tom Berducci then then uh, came in, and he was great as far as explaining what had happened as well. And I guess the best decision I made over the last 10 days was packing the Major League Baseball rule book, uh, which I had about three feet away from me as everything was developing. And, you know, there's so much going through your mind while it's happening. Uh, you know, you're, you're listening to your partners, you're watching what's going on in the field, you're watching the umpires, you're in communication with, with the producer and the guys down in the truck. And um, I also have a, a statistician slash researcher next to me named Ben Boma, who's been with me for about 22 years now on the NFL and other sports. And he also used to work for the Pirates, so he has an encyclopedic knowledge of, of baseball as well and the rules. So um, I hand him the rule book at, at that second because i certainly don't have time to flip through it right and he within about 30 seconds came up with rule 6.03 which i was then able to uh read to the viewers on the air so it was a group effort between harold and tom and ben and the rule book and uh just you know watching what was going on and it, it really did turn into chaos with uh after the umpires got together fans you know throwing things down from the upper deck and um it, it was kind of a, a surreal situation when when everything is playing out and, and then they, they go to a review, even though, I mean, Harold, I think it was the one right away, was like, this isn't reviewable. Really, all you guys are agreeing, it's a judgment, not reviewable. And then they did go to it. Afterwards, does Major League Baseball give you guys any information as to what happened outside of your your ears? Uh, did they well, help Ken, you? Yeah, anyway? Ken Rosenthal actually had a report later, which was tremendous as well where he um, you know, brought up the fact that, that they weren't reviewing the actual play, but they were just confirming the rule. They were just double-checking that they got the rule right uh, with the folks in New York. So, again, having Ken down there as well is, is a huge part of the broadcast because he was able to chat with uh, people from Major League Baseball and he was close to the umpires. So it, it sounded like they weren't reviewing the play. It's not a reviewable play, but they were, they were uh, doing what's called a rules check. Uh, with the folks uh, back in the East Coast. You know what's really crazy to me? I'm watching this, and I'm seeing the crowd react. Uh, the, the, the the bottle's coming down, like you said. Um, Harold kept saying, you know, they got to take the guys off the field. I sort of agreed with them. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, man, the Blue Jays are taking themselves out of this game. They are just letting this just I thought that they were letting them mentally go to a place that was going to make that run a bigger run than it needed to be. 
one run is obviously not insurmountable in baseball. But then the Rangers come on the field and they're they gave the the Blue Jays six outs. Were you thinking kind of like I were, or what? What were your thought on how? I mean, the Blue Jays are getting guys kicked out. They're playing the game under protest, and I thought they might have been taking them themselves out of the game mentally. What was your process in terms of how the game might go forward while watching it all from inside the building? Yeah, I think you know most of us thoughts certainly you know went through our minds and. Uh, you know, again, you're, you're also making sure that you explained everything to the viewers and, and, uh, you know, as far as what took place with the umpires and, and the call on the field. And then, you know, they come out and, and like you said, the three consecutive errors, which is, you know, you hardly ever see that, especially two from a guy like Elvis Andrews. So, uh, it turned pretty quickly. Uh, you know, the three errors, they load the bases and then, uh, the Bautista home run, which will certainly go down. I thought he had a great line. He was asked after the game if, 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 you know, he, he would, you know, was thinking about Joe Carter as he was rounding the bases. And even Jose said, well, that was a little different. That was the World Series and it was a walk-off. But this is certainly uh, the biggest home run of his career. When I hang up with you, Kenny, and when I hang up with just about every interview, almost the first thing that goes through my mind is, oh, damn it, I didn't ask this or I didn't say, th- say that. Was there any of that for you yesterday when you finished that game? Was there anything that you're like, oh, I should have clarified this more? Or um, is there anything you wish you would have said? I don't mean uh, the, that uh, saying it in my head that sounded like a negative thing, but I don't mean it like that. Was there just something maybe more you wish you would have added? Because I always find myself thinking more about what I didn't say than what I did. That, that's a great question, Steve, because it does go through my mind all the time. You know, you finish a game and, and you try to think about. Uh, some things you may have missed or should have said. Uh, we're only about 14 hours removed as we're taping this, so not yet, which I guess is a good thing, but uh, yeah. you know, as I read more about it and hear more about the play, uh, there probably will be you know, one or two things that, that come into my mind that, that I wish I said or did while it was all taking place, but um, you know, again, it's only been 14 hours. I probably slept for seven of those 14, so uh, nothing's popped into my head yet, but that does happen often uh, with other broadcasts where, um, you know, I'm always my toughest critic, and, and you definitely do think of things uh, frequently that, that you wish you would have done a little bit differently. Were you happy with the home run call? I was. Um, you know, again, the, the, the good thing about it was you knew it right away. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. some home runs <laughs> that, that just make it over, you're not quite sure, but with that one, uh, there, there was no question. Although, if it's funny, a few people told me, they had trouble hearing it because it was so loud. It was so loud in the building that it kind of drowned out the call. But uh, from what I remember, at least, and I haven't seen a replay of it, uh, yes, I was happy with the home run call. Talk about the atmosphere inside a little bit, um, being in there. You've been in, so, like we talk, like I mentioned off the top, that, that 49ers game and the Saints game. I'm sure that when Vernon Davis catches that pass, you have this euphoric uh, rush. But that's outside. The, the the idea of this happening in a dome and, and the way it, it, I've been in there and, and how it sounds in there, what was the what was that reaction and that noise like? And, and can you compare it to anything else in your career? Well, I think the fact that it was indoors in a dome uh, certainly added to it uh, as far as the noise level. Um, the Vernon Davis game, for sure, the New Orleans-San Francisco uh, divisional game, and I would have to say um, 2010 in Vancouver, I wasn't working the game, but I was at the U.S.-Canada gold medal hockey game when Sidney Crosby yeah. scored <laughs> Ouch. Uh, the overtime goal. 
it, it was similar as far as the noise level. Of course, it was quiet when, when Zach Parisi uh, scored the tie in the last minute. You could hear a pin drop. But I, I would say Vancouver 2010, the, the football game you mentioned, and uh, last night also, you know, I've been to a couple of, I've worked a couple of Stanley Cup clinching games, three of them now, 94, 95, and 2014. So I'd have to put those up there. Uh, but as far as last night, I mean, it was, you know, we have the headsets on, so you don't get the full effect of the noise, but I found myself about three or four times taking them off just to hear for two or three seconds how loud it was. And then in the seventh and eighth inning, they're singing the Olay song, which, which I'll probably hear tonight in Montreal. I'm, I have the Rangers Canadians, and uh, that's something that uh, I'm used to hearing at, at the Bell Center at Canadians home games. But uh, they were pretty loud with it last night uh, at Rogers Center. You know, we always hear uh, people talk to athletes about, you know, don't forget to take it in. Uh, don't forget the the moment. I remember last year with Derek Jeter uh, talking about after when he went out to shortstop at Yankee Stadium for that last time and saying, you know, hey, I finally took a second and I looked around and I soaked it in. Yesterday's game is undoubtedly one of the one of the most historically important games you're ever going to call. In your career, do you feel like you took a second and soaked everything in and looked around and thought about how cool it was to be able to be the guy who called that game on television yesterday? I think so. Um, you know, going into the game, and I haven't been involved in, in too many baseball playoff games uh, as the play-by-play announcer. I had worked two um, back in 2001, and then I did sideline reporting at some of the Yankee-Boston ALCS games, and I have to put those up there as far as the noise as well, uh, back in 03 and 04 at Yankee Stadium. Um, but I, I think I did uh, take time to soak it in. Um, you know, leading up to the game, you certainly, um, you know, I certainly felt like it was one of the biggest games that I was ever going to work, or you know, as far as up until this point, because it's a deciding game in the postseason. You know, even though it's the divisional series, one of these teams is moving on. So um, knowing the importance of the game, you know, leading up to it, and then, um, you know, it did take some time to soak it in uh, right before we went on the air and then, uh, you know, at times during the game. But I think it, it sinks in a little bit more after the fact. Uh, I actually went back to the hotel quickly and then went to the airport for, for a late flight to Montreal and, and then some of the, the texts, uh, you know, and tweets start coming in and, and some texts from, you know, people that I really respect in the business. And, and when they say that, you know, you guys handled it very well and you did a great job, I think, you know, that, that certainly means a lot when, when you hear from colleagues in the business. Um, so when some of those start flowing in, I think it, it makes, you know, even more of an impact. Have you heard from your dad? Uh, actually, during the game, he, he texted a couple of times while while the craziness was going on, and I, wow. you know, don't always get the the chance to check the phone, you know, as it's happening. But uh, he was home watching. He's a huge baseball fan. He grew up as a Brooklyn Dodgers fan, and actually worked as an intern for the Dodgers back in the fifties. So, um, you know, despite all of the, uh, you know, he's obviously best known for basketball and worked football and hockey and boxing. Um, I, I think. Baseball is near the top of his list as far as sports that he enjoys just watching as a spectator or on TV. So he was keeping a close eye on it as well. Well, Kenny Albert is at Kenny Albert on uh, on Twitter. We only had a few minutes today, uh, but he's so kind to fit us in. We're going to get him back soon uh, to talk about how his new uh, NFL booth is going and 
to also talk about the Rangers and how he thinks that season's going to um, finish out. But thank you so much for the time today, uh, Kenny, to get a little bit of an overview on everything that went down. And, uh, and we'll be in touch, and we'll talk some more soon. Thanks, Steve. Really enjoyed it. All right, I want to thank our guests. You can find this week's podcast and all of our podcasts including last week's with uh, Mike Tirico and Jonah Carey, on our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can also find us on Twitter, at sports underscore casters. Talk right to Don at Don Like Sports. And don't be afraid to email us. And we got some nice ones this week. Thank you. The sportscasters at gmail.com. All right. For one last thing, we're going to do a little something different today, and that's make some NHL season-long predictions. Uh, we do have the advantage of seeing three games, but I promise that's really no <laughs> advantage. Uh, and we will start with the Vesna Trophy, and I will pick one of my favorite players in the league, Carey Price. Uh, you can argue he's never going to be able to have a year as good Seems as he had bad. last year. So maybe he won't win the MVP again, and I'm not picking him to. Uh, but I think he plays the hardest position in sports, goalie in Montreal. He's been doing it for so long that his mental toughness is so strong in a position where mental toughness is maybe the most important thing that just gives him an edge over every goalie. So if Carey Price stays healthy, he's winning the Vesna. I don't have uh, as good a reason. I'm just going to say Pekka Rene in that he's a good goalie, and that team is kind of a defense-first team, and... I think Weber had a little bit of a down year last year, maybe. Yeah, I'm he did. Remembering right, so I mean, get a guy like that to get a little. Seth bit. Jones will be better. Yeah, so uh, the team in front of him is good. I actually like them a lot to come out of the West, but uh, why not, Pekka Rene? All right, for the Calder, I considered three players: Connor McDavid, Jack Eichel, and the kid from Detroit, who I was just talking about glowingly a second ago. Oh, Larkin. Uh, but I'm picking Eichel because I, I, mean, I live in Buffalo. I'm an Eichel mark, so I'm picking yeah. Eichel. Yeah, I'm going to pick Eichel too. Uh, we mentioned reasons earlier. He's NHL ready also. I mean, other than being a Buffalo fans, uh, he's huge. He's the most. He was the most physically gifted rookie in addition to being one of the most skilled. So he might not have the better career even though everyone trolls <laughs> – uh, Edmonton fans every time he scores but he probably will have a better rookie year I'm going to pick Alexander Ovechkin to win the MVP kind of because he usually scores the most goals I thought about Patrick Kane and because he seemed like he was on the precipice of that kind of a season last year before he got injured and he's already off to a two point a game start Oh, really? Wow. You know, he's got six points in the first three games already. Uh, but I just stayed away just in case Hal breaks loose and right. he's got to miss games or something. Or Regardless of the outcome of the most recent problem, I mean, I don't know how you want to put it, that he's having, he's always a little bit of a danger for that, right? I mean, even when we, 
I heard Chicago writers that kind of blasted him and said he should be traded regardless of whether or not he's innocent or guilty. Right, because he, he put the put, team in the spot. And he keeps putting himself in those yeah. type of positions. But now, we also talk glowingly pretty much all year about how mature he seemed to yeah, have been coming. Exactly. You know, I remember during the lockout, he kind of was one of the voice of reason. Like He had a lot of smart, well-thought-out things to say that you didn't expect from him. So The biggest problem is, is I can't say whether he went backwards or not because i don't know the facts yeah you know but so yeah don't put i, I don't think it's necessarily immature to take a girl home from a bar if you're a rich hockey player right so but i, I just don't know the details but i stayed away from him because of that so i'll pick ovechkin i have maybe said this on the podcast before but every year that crosby's healthy he's arguing i mean Health is the only issue with him, really. His floor is super high, so from a, like if you're thinking in fantasy terms, I, I'll just take Sidney Crosby. If he stays healthy, he's probably going to be the best player in the NHL again. That's usually who the MVP goes to. Before we pick the Cup and the uh, conference final winners in the Cup, I thought we'd do this thing. Remember on SportsCenter they used to do, they had like a beer company sponsor something, and it was like a, a six-pack Budweiser cold six-packs of fun or something? I, okay. Well, we're going to do that. I got six questions here, NHL-related, and we'll each oh, okay. say what we think. So the first one is, last year, Alexander Ovechkin had 53 goals. He's the only player in the league uh, to get 50 goals. Will anyone get it this year, and who? Yes. I don't know who. That's a tougher question. Three-on-three um, three overtime is going to help that. Uh, you're going to have... That's amazing. Have you seen it yet? I haven't. Oh, no. it's sick. I, you know what? Actually, I did. Someone uploaded, uh, I think it was the first one. It was like the whole overtime in three minutes and it right. had a penalty shot. And the fires and yeah, that lighting. Was, it yeah. was awesome. Amazing. Yeah. So I think that will help. I think there is a huge crop of super talented young players that are also coming into the league. And the league wants goal scoring. So I don't know what they're going to do to get it because they've wanted that forever. But... I'm going to say talent in three-on-three overtime is enough to to get somebody there. I'll, I mean, maybe even a handful of guys this year. Maybe maybe there's a jump. Maybe this maybe the three-on-three does it. I was going to say yes, and I'll pick three guys: Ovechkin, mm-hmm. um, Tyler Sagan. Yeah, I was going to say Sagan could easily do it because he had 37, but only played 71 games last year. Um, so I'll say Sagan, and then I'll say. Uh, Stamkos as well. Yeah, Stamkos is maybe the best pure goal scorer in the league. And other Stamkos than is maybe the best example of a guy who could benefit from those four, three on threes. Sure. You know, he's always going to be out there, and he had 43 and 82 last year. I don't know how much he'll benefit from the three on three, but the popular guy for this is the. Uh, I can't think of his name. They pick on him, they call him Chubby all the time. Um, you're talking about uh, Phil Kessel? Kessel. Yeah. I mean, he's a popular vote for a guy to score a ton of goals because anyone next to Crosby does, and he's happens to be t- more talented than the guys they've had next to him in the past. All right. Well, last year, number two, Jamie Benn won the scoring title with 87 points. Okay. Will, will the scoring champion have more or less points than that this year, and who will be the scoring champion? I'll say more. I'll say Crosby, and for the same reason, I think three-on-three three gives it a huge – I mean, I think that's a pretty massive bump. I mean, you shouldn't see very many shootouts 
compared to the last year. I mean, it it should cut it way down. I'll say more as well. Eighty seven is like ridiculously low, uh, and I'll say Crosby will win it as well. Uh, number three, will the Sabers make the playoffs? Uh, I'm not sure of the historical relevant. Like, there's a handful of teams who've gone from worst to playoffs in the NHL. There's they, like four or five of them. They would need it. They, it would be a short of a miracle. I mean, they were one of the worst teams ever last year. Now, granted, that team is barely on the ice this year, but uh. I hate to say it because it's not a position I even really care about, but the goalie might be an issue. Although they've only—I mean, they've given up—he's already out. Yeah, six he's weeks. out six <laughs> weeks. So uh, goaltending might be an issue, and there's gonna—I think this team's gonna be better. I think in 2016 than they are right now. There's there's a, so many moving parts that are new this year that I think there's gonna be a little bit of a feeling out period. Next year, the sky's the limit. Next year, I said I'm gonna be pulling for them to win the Stanley Cup. But I think this year they probably – this is the learning curve year, and then next year uh, I'm all in. I'll say no too, but I think there will be a point like in March where we'll be like, maybe. Yeah, you know, that, like, I think they'll hang around. That will be really interesting too because you get close to that trade deadline. If they're near the playoffs and don't make a move, maybe he gets criticized for it, even though he probably shouldn't do anything because of how young the team is. But, yeah, I, I think they probably miss – I mean, but even missing could be a 30-point improvement. Number four, do you think the Oilers will make it? Um, No, probably not. That division, I mean, you got to figure the Ducks are probably are in Sharks and maybe. I just think there's too much talent there. The Kings, are, the Kings can be really good again. The Coyotes showed, even though that they were one of the last-place teams last year. That the Flames have a year in it already. Yeah, I mean – there's too many things that would need to happen. They'd all, all of a sudden have to learn to play defense. and I mean, through two games, they've only scored one goal. So it looks like they're going to have some adjustment period too. So, no, I don't think so. All right, number five. So we did goals, points, sabers. Oilers. And Oilers. Uh, the next question. Uh, this is kind of a local thing, but... Do you think that at any point this year the Sabres are going to be in a situation like they were last year where the ticket secondary ticket market was so saturated you could go see 10 12 13 dollar home games? There is zero chance. They could they could lose every game between now. well maybe that'd be an exaggeration but there's no chance. Not with Michael's got two goals through three games. Obviously he's not going to score 60 but uh no chance. No ch- and people are just—I mean, I'm watching the games as a big fan, and I'm still learning numbers and learning how certain guys play and what role they play on the team. And I mean, there's a feeling out period, and people are in love with the team already. Like once they start to learn, like, oh, Kane can do this, or O'Reilly is this type of play. Like, there's just there's too much new and exciting and shiny to uh, for that to wear off that fast. All right, last thing, and this is kind of putting you on the spot, oh, but no. do you want to make a bold prediction a for bold the NHL prediction. season? Um, I don't know how bold it is, but I'm going to say, I was saying beforehand, the Panthers sh- should be good. I know every year, I mean, they're really young. They've got a lot of young 
goal scoring talent, and they've fallen short. Right? They didn't make the playoffs last year, did they? Who? The Panthers, Florida. No. I think they make the playoffs, and well, if I'm being bold, let's say the Panthers make the conference finals. All right. I'm Although that might not be possible because I have the Lightning as probably the, my cup finalist. That's possible. Even though they're in the same division? Yeah. Okay, good. Um, my bold prediction is that the Islanders are going to lose game seven of the conference finals. All and right. I won't say to who just yet. But <laughs> the Islanders are going to be this close and not quite make it to the cup. All right. It's time. Make your picks for the cup and the cup winner. Give me the Lightning, who I'm pretty sure I picked last year, and I guess if Rene is going to win the Vesna, they're going to be a good team. So, Ugh. just the Blackhawks are so good; <laughs> it's hard to pick against them. Give me the Lightning in Chicago. Uh, that's the playoffs I think the league would want to see. Other than, I mean, if you can't have New York or LA in the market, give me the Lightning in Chicago, and I'll say the Lightning win it. I really like the Blues and really wanted to pick the Blues, but you can't pick against the Blackhawks, yeah. except, especially after the start that Kane's on. They could wear out. They've played a lot of hockey. But I'm going to pick the Blackhawks, and I'm going to say they're going to play the Capitals, and I'll say Ovechkin will finally uh, no longer be the best player to never win a cup. I'd be pulling for him. 